claims Christ from the prophecy of Joel, from Psalm 16, and from Psalm 110, and in particular draws attention to the fact that everything that is taking place in fulfillment of God's promise on that day at Pentecost is in virtue of Christ. At the center of it all is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. God's appointed mediator. Who was, yes, crucified and slain at the hands of wicked men. But this in fulfillment of God's purpose. Crucified and slain. And yet God raised him up. Verse 24. Having loosed the pangs of death. Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter proclaims the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in contrast with that, having cited the words of the psalmist David in Psalm 16, he declares in contrast to Christ that David died, was buried, and is yet in the state of death. You can see his tomb It is with us to this day, verse 29. And so the one that David spoke of in Psalm 16 was not himself, but Christ. Christ who was risen from the dead. Christ that was not left unto Hades. Christ that was, whose flesh did not see corruption. This Jesus did God raise up. And we turn to this text and its proclamation of Christ's death and resurrection this morning in order that we might further understand what the scriptures teach and what it is that we confess together, what it is that we believe when we say that Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, Christ who was crucified, Christ who was dead and buried, that Christ also descended into hell. What does this mean? What does it mean for the prophet David to say of Christ that God would not leave his soul unto Hades? What does it mean when Peter says that yes, this is true, that Christ was not left unto to Hades. What does it mean to say in verse 24 concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this entailed the loosing of the pangs of death and that it was not possible for death to hold the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to confess these things? And indeed to believe that Christ 
who died and rose again, yet also descended to hell. What does this mean? And there are several interpretations of the clause in the creed down throughout the history of the church. There are literal interpretations which would suggest that Christ in some sense descends literally to the place of the damned, to hell itself. There are metaphorical interpretations. There are those who suggest, as Calvin did, as Ursinus, the author of the Heidelberg Catechism, and even as the Orthodox Catechism does, at least in part here, that this descent into hell speaks of the anguish of Christ's soul in dying, in receiving the death that is due unto us, his people. And there are also, beyond these literal and metaphorical interpretations of the descent clause, there are also um, another form, another um, interpretation, which might be described as metomical or metonomical, metonymy, meaning that this clause, descent, or the clause of the descent into hell, is a uh, further um, an explication of what it means for Christ to have been dead and buried. Here, the interpretation is that the descent clause emphasizes his descent to the grave and being under the power of death and experiencing the state of death itself. Well, even in speaking then of the various interpretations of the creed, and there are variations even among those three, literal, metaphorical, and metonomical, what are we to say? What are we to say that the scriptures teach when it tells us that Jesus Christ was loosed from the pangs of death, or that God loosed the pangs of death in his resurrection? What does it mean to say that Christ was not left unto Hades, not left unto Sheol? Well, I think the Orthodox Catechism is correct when it points us in the direction of not only the Lord Jesus Christ experiencing the sorrows of hell and death in his death upon the cross, but also experiencing something of what we might call the state of death. Experiencing the state of of death between his death and his resurrection. In fulfilling his mission, 
to redeem sinners. Christ did indeed descend to hell. He descended to hell, as the Catechism remarks, not as the place of the damned. He did not descend to the place of the damned either to preach second chances for those who refused to hear in the Old Testament or to release those from hell, his believing saints in the Old Testament who had to wait, it is supposed, for him to actually die in order to be released from Sheol or from hell. Nor is it a descent to the place of the damned to preach his victory over hell. But given, as we noted several weeks ago, that this clause refers to the lowest degree of his humiliation, it speaks to the fact that even bodily, the Lord Jesus Christ descended all the way to the very depths of death itself, enduring the disgrace and dishonor of death that was due unto us. He endured the pangs of death, the cords of death, held him, as it were, in the grave for three days. He went, as the Catechism remarks, absolutely into the place of the dead. Now, as we think about the descent clause, and as we think about all of the various interpretations of the clause itself, again, there are those who suppose a literal descent. And there are those, even as the catechism remarks, or as the catechism adopts itself in the first part of the question, there is a metaphorical sense that is that the Lord Jesus delivered us from our greatest pains and most grievous temptations by the unspeakable distresses, torments, and terrors of his soul into which he was plunged both before and then especially when he hung on the cross. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ delivers us from the straits and torments of hell by himself enduring them upon the cross. But as the further note explains, there is something more here. There is something more in view. There is the grave. There is the place of the dead. There is the state of the dead. There is the power of death that Jesus undergoes for us.
we might simply say that Jesus endured the pangs of death for us. And this, as we want to notice, entails two things. First of all, it entails that Jesus undertook the sorrows of death and hell for us. Jesus undertook the sorrows of death, of hell. Jesus, as he found himself in the garden prior to his death, exclaims in prayer unto his father that his soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Matthew 27 and verse 46. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Jesus Christ, who was about to die upon the cross, to have soul rent from body and to undertake upon himself and bear himself our sin and the punishment due our sin understood what this meant. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, becoming sin for us is exceedingly sorrowful in soul in bearing that sin, in becoming sin. To use the language of the Apostle Peter here in Acts chapter 2, the pangs of death, verse 24, speaks not only to the reality of death itself, but the horror of death. And Jesus, in dying and undergoing this death, knew what it was for death as the punishment of sin to swallow him up, as it were. The language that Peter uses here, the pangs of death, and as he speaks of the fact that death is not able to hold Christ. It was not possible that he, that is Christ, should be holden of it. He's echoing the language of Psalm 18 
And Psalm 116, speaking of the cords of death. Language that brings with it the imagery of seaweed, perhaps. Long strands of plants underneath the surface of the water. Which if we're one to dive into them... And get trapped in them. He would be holden of them. Wrapped in their cords. Entangled. If you will. The cords of death. Encompassed me. Says the psalmist. The pangs of death. Held Jesus Christ. And the prospect of this reality. And the prospect of dying and in dying, bearing our sin and bearing our punishment, the Lord Jesus exclaims that his soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. At the prospect of such a death as punishment for sin, Jesus Christ speaks of this sorrow. A death that did not belong to him. A death which he did not deserve. But a death that he was willingly undertaking. A death that he knew held its captives. A death that he knew to be the reality of Descending to corruption, the corruption of death, the dissolution of body and or the the uh, disruption of the union of body and soul, and the dissolution of the body itself. Jesus, Jesus knew this. Catechism speaks of unspeakable distresses, torments, and terrors of his soul, into which he was plunged both before and then especially when he hung on the cross. In dying upon the cross, Jesus knew the terror of hell. Now he knew as well that he would be delivered. He knew as well that he would be raised from the dead. In fact, even as he underwent those torments and terrors and distresses, he could offer the thief upon the cross the assurance That today, this very day of the thief's death, and this very day of his own death for the salvation of sinners, that that thief would be with him in paradise. And that text and that promise of the Lord Jesus, in fact, is one of the reasons why we would reject a literal 
interpretation of the clause of this clause of the creed. Jesus descending to some place, to the place of the damned, to hell itself, is not the intention of the creed nor the meaning of the creed, precisely because Jesus says to the thief, today, this day, even the day of his death, you will be with me. In paradise. And yet Jesus as he died. Jesus the incarnate one dies. As a man for men. And for men undergoes. The terrors. Of soul. The terrors of soul that not only come with dying, but the terrors of soul that come with dying as the punishment of sin, as the penalty of sin. Hell is the prospect for all who remain outside of Jesus Christ, precisely because hell is that eternal punishment due to us. But Christ takes that punishment, not by going to the place of the damned, but by enduring the cross. And in undergoing all of this for us, he delivers us and grants us even the assurance and the comfort that in the midst of all of our terrors of soul, in the midst of our most grievous temptations, we have this support. That Christ for us endured the terrors and the torments of hell. In such a way, in fact, that we no longer need to be overwhelmed by such terrors and torments ourselves, Many, if not most believers, have some experience, indeed, I would venture to guess that most of us, if not all of us, have had some experience of the terror of soul The fear of dying, the fear of death, the reality of hell as it is made known in scripture as eternal punishment to be experienced in body and soul. There is in fact some fear that this will be ours. And we have this fear and this torment precisely because we have a conscience That by the grace of God reminds us of our sin and of all of the sorrows that are attached to our sin and all of the misery, even that eternal misery that rightfully belongs 
to sinners. But because Jesus underwent the pangs of death, and because he was loosed from the pangs of death, we are freed from these torments, from these terrors. We are freed from hell itself by Jesus Christ. And so even though we may know these things and experience these things, we have the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who for us endured death and even the exceeding sorrow of soul that comes with his death. Jesus Christ underwent the sorrows of hell and death for us. But secondly, we also need to recognize that Jesus endured for us the state of hell, the state of death. Hell here, not taken in the sense in Hades as it is found in the quotation of Psalm 16 and by the Apostle Peter mentioning it again in verse 31 of Acts chapter 2. Hades here, not referring again to the place of the damned, but to the state, to the power of death. To the state, to the power of death. Jesus bodily lay in the grave. And lying in the grave, he underwent and remained in the state that all dead people enter into upon death. He entered the grave. Yes, he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. But Jesus' body lie in the grave. And there's something significant about lying in the grave. It attests to the fact that Jesus, who died upon the cross for our sins, really died. And really underwent the reality of death in all that it means for his people. Our representative went, as the catechism mentions in its note here, not into the place of the damned, but into the place of the dead. And interestingly, it makes this note and reference to Archbishop Usher and to William Perkins and to their exposition of this phrase, this clause of the creed. 
And for both Usher and Perkins, and even before them, other Reformed luminaries, the creed in speaking of Christ's descent into hell means that Christ, in the lowest state and degree of his humiliation, remained under the power of death between the cross and the empty tomb. Death, as it were, held him for a time. The cords of death, Hades, held him. His flesh, which would not ultimately see corruption, nevertheless was under the power of death and in the state belonging to the dead for three days. That means that in the separation of body and soul that occurs at death, the body lies under the disgrace and dishonor of death. And as Usher and Perkins point out at length in their exposition of the creed, even as does Caspar Olivianus, one of the first to confess the Heidelberg Catechism, this means that Jesus, who in soul went to paradise, in body, lie under the lies under the disgrace of death. When he died upon the cross, Jesus suffered vicariously for us. He made satisfaction for our sin. In the grave, undergoing the disgrace of death does not mean that he makes satisfaction for death. From the cross, he cried out, it is finished. But when Jesus went to the grave, he went to the grave for us. And he went to the grave for us so that when he rose from the grave, we might know that though we will be in the grave bodily, we too shall rise as he did. The pangs of death, he's loosed from them. It was not ultimately possible for death to hold him. The grave could not encompass his body forever. It must rise. And we'll see why that's the case. When we come to the teaching of the catechism on the resurrection. But Jesus' life could not remain under the power of death. Jesus could not remain in the state of death. He could not remain in the grave. Not only because of the promise 
made in Psalm 16. But because of the power of God. And because of the purity of his death. Be that as it may. When we acknowledge that Jesus descended into hell. What we mean is that not only did our Savior endure the sorrows of hell and the sorrows of death. But Jesus endured for us the state of death. And enduring the state of death and remaining under the power of death for some time, Jesus, who did not stay there, who did not remain in that state forever, assures us that we will not remain in that state. That though there will come a time barring his return in which our flesh lies under the disgrace of the grave and our soul departs to be with the Lord, nevertheless, the two shall be reunited and we shall be raised. Ironically then, it is in dying, it is in enduring the sorrows of death and entering in upon the state of death that Jesus gains victory over death for us. And here is tremendous comfort for us. Jesus has delivered us. Yes, he has made satisfaction for sin for us by dying upon the cross. But for us as well, he went to the grave that we might know that the grave has no power. But the grave itself is conquered. And so we too cannot be held by death because Jesus was not held by death. Do you fear death? I will acknowledge and admit that I have had nights where my soul is terrorized by the thought of dying and death. What's the counsel for our souls? What's the counsel for my soul in that state and condition? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ who descended into hell. It's Jesus Christ 
who endured Hades, corruption, the pangs of death, but who was not and could not be held by it. If you are in him, if you believe in him, the cords of death, strong though they may appear, have been not only torn apart by Jesus, Pangs of death have been conquered by Jesus because he endured them. He undertook them for us. And so just as we say that Jesus suffered for us, was crucified for us, died for us, was buried for us. And just as we will learn that Jesus was raised from the dead for us, we can also say that Jesus descended into hell for us. Jesus endured the sorrows of hell for us. And Jesus remained in the state of death, under the power of death, that we might be freed from the state and the power of death. And so as we come even to the table this morning and contemplate the death of Jesus Christ and remember his death. Let us do so remembering that Jesus went into the place of the dead. Jesus experienced all that death entails for us, for our salvation. And let us then partake in faith Trusting in the crucified and risen Christ. Let us partake in hope that though we may die, we will yet live because of Jesus. Let's pray.